Before we get started with episode three of the Golfer's Journal podcast, I just want to take a second to, as always, thank the founding sponsors that make our entire magazine possible. Uh, the original six, as our, our editor Travis Hill likes to call them. Uh, I know we mentioned it here on the podcast before, but these are six companies that really supported the Golfer's Journal before there even was a Golfer's Journal to support, uh, which is, you know, as you can imagine, not an easy thing for a company to do, and, and we can't appreciate it more. So those companies are Scotty Cameron, Link Soul, Electric Sunglasses, Titleist, G4, and No Let's Gin, and uh, we can't thank you guys enough for, for making all of this possible. My guest today is Tom Coyne, uh, who's an author, a golf writer, a screenwriter, a professor, kind of a... a Jack of all trades and seemingly a master of of many, if not all of them. Uh, Tom is is quickly becoming one of my favorite golf writers out there. I'm not really sure what took me so long to to catch on, but uh, I've just been kind of devouring his stuff uh, after being introduced to him through kind of both writing for the Golfer's Journal and uh, I really enjoyed our talk today. He's he's written three books. Uh, he's releasing his fourth this year, um, all of which you know cover golf in kind of a funny, smart. Uh, sort of irreverent but classic kind of way and, uh, that I think all the, the readers of the magazine will really enjoy. We've been lucky to have him write essays for each issue of the Golfer's Journal so far, and, and I know he's got some more great stuff planned for the future. Uh, I think he's really someone that kind of embodies everything the magazine is about. You know, we'll touch on we'll touch on all that. I mean, his history and his uh, his background and the way he looks at the game, I think, just kind of lines up a lot with uh, with the way that the other writers of this magazine and, and hopefully the readers of this magazine really look at the game as well. And so without further ado, uh, let's get to my conversation with Tom Coyne. Yeah. Congratulations on your Jaguars there. I was gonna say, uh, I hope I don't have uh, I don't have you know too much playoff voice this morning. <laughs> I have a cold, so we'll both be uh, yeah. We'll just we'll just groan through it. It'll be good. All right, perfect. Well, let's uh, let's get right into it. Um, I mean, let's let's start with your background. I know you know hardcore golf fans are gonna have a real good uh, understanding of kind of who you are, where you came from. But to anyone who doesn't know or isn't familiar. You know what's your what's your background both in writing and golf? Where are you from? I know you went to Notre Dame. How'd you end up there? Yeah. I'll just kind of turn off the mic and let you uh, let you start for a minute. All right, cool. Uh, yeah, so I am a I'm from Philadelphia, just outside of Philadelphia. Um, and uh, I grew up in a place called Media, Pennsylvania, and uh, then lived in the city for a while. And now we live live outside the city in uh, in Devon. But um, how I got into golf writing, it's uh, I'm sort of an accidental golf writer um to be honest i went to uh i went to graduate you didn't go school. to you didn't go to golf writing school i didn't go to golf writing school i couldn't get into golf writing school <laughs> i had to settle for um be an english major and i wanted to uh i went to graduate school to get my uh mfa in, in fiction writing and while i was there um i grew up caddying my whole life i mean i grew up uh, playing golf and caddying all summer. Like that was my camp rolling green outside of Philadelphia was the course I grew up at. And, uh, when I was in graduate school, I was trying to write short stories and novels and stuff and wanted to be a fiction writer. And, and finally in my, my second year after writing a lot of stuff that wasn't very good, I started writing this story about, a, uh, a golf prodigy who was a caddy. It was basically the story of like the golfer I wanted, like I wished I was to be honest. And, uh, and that, those stories turned into chapters and became a novel and it became my master's thesis, this, this, uh, this book called a gentleman's game. And, um, so I finished school. I was like, Hey, I've got like a book here and let's see what we can do with it. 
um, and was really fortunate. Uh, got an agent and got it published um, shortly after graduation. So this was back in like 99. Um, it got uh, picked up to be, uh, shortly after selling it as a book, it got picked up to be a movie. Um, I got the chance to write the screenplay for that. And uh, so suddenly, pretty quickly in the space, of like three, four months, like life just got insane. Um, and I was, uh, working on a, on a screenplay. I had a book coming out and then I had the opportunity to start to write for some golf magazines. And, and suddenly I was also, I was kind of in the golf world. Um, so I pursued those opportunities. Um, and from there thought I might write another novel, uh, but also had some, some ideas for some nonfiction projects. Uh, so I did a book called Paper Tiger, where I basically went out and lived every golfer's dream. Uh, if you could just golf, like how good could you get? You know, that question we all have, we hit one good shot and we right. think like, oh man, I can do this. Uh, as like, all right, what if I really just, you know, tried? Uh, so that was this insane 542 days of golf in a row moved to florida with a <laughs> coach and a shrink and a trainer and equipment sponsor and the you know if i had everything the pros have how good could i get so i so i did that um and now i'm like sort of at that point kind of firmly planted in the in the golf writing world and uh from there then did this uh you know i like doing the nonfiction. um it was a, you know, it was a really good experience and it's nice writing nonfiction. You don't have to, you know, the, the plus and the minus of it is you can't make it up, but you also don't have to make it up. So I, you know, going out and living a sort of adventure gave me material. Um, you know, I wrote a novel at, at 24 and I think that was all I knew about the world was in that book. And, uh, I said, well, I don't have any, another novel in me. Let me go out and just create adventures. And that's kind of where golf has been awesome because it's given me this chance to travel and, and do crazy stuff and, and basically discover stories as I go. Um, and that was the case with this Ireland book, a course called Ireland, where I went and the idea was I'd play, try to play Ireland as one giant golf course um, and, and, and play. Uh, and when you golf in Ireland, you, you, you walk. So I did the whole thing on foot, um, walked the coastline for four months and played every course that every links that got in my way. Um, and that was, you know, I think the books are, it's, it's golf writing, they're golf stories, but you know, the golf is, is sort of the backdrop and, uh, it's always, you know, it's always about the people, the characters, the adventures, the crises that you get into. And from Ireland, you know, I, I, I did Scotland in 2015, uh, a sort of a different kind of story, similar title of books called, of course, called Scotland. It comes out in July. Um, but, uh, I didn't walk the whole way, but I played 110 courses in 57 days and then tried to qualify for the open at the end of it, sort of a search for the, for the secret to golf in the home of golf. Um, and that was, a that was just insane. A, a really, uh, uh, a, a great trip for sure. So when you tell the story to like, you know, someone who spends their day selling, you know, insurance or something, what's, what's the reaction that you typically get? You know, I, it's, it's hard to read. I mean, I know there's a lot of resentment and, and, and disgust and hatred. No, it's, um, it's usually they don't believe it. Like you do what, um, and you did what, uh, which, which is kind of, um, it, yeah, it's funny. I, I try to, uh, well, it's, it, the point of the stories is that I kind of like, all right, we can't all go like 
live and do these crazy things, but we maybe dream at night that we could. Like, if I could just play golf, how good could I get? That kind of stuff. So the, the idea is like, okay, I'll go do it. Um, I'll take on the credit card debt and uh, <laughs> and, and, and risk the, the ire of my wife, and, and, and I'll go, like, live these crazy experiences and try and capture them, um, you know, because not, you know, not everyone's going to spend a, a year and a half just on the range uh, and just try and capture what that's like. Um, and it's awesome. So it's, at first it's like, what? And then it's, it's cool to um, talk to folks who are like, wow, I've, I've thought about doing that, but it was cool to be able to experience that, you know, get a little piece of your dream through, through someone else kind of living it. Yeah. And it's, it's somewhat, you know, kind of obvious, I guess, when you think about it, but it's, it's those kinds of things, the the things that are kind of hard to believe and just make people completely envious that you often end up, you know, enjoying the most, you know, enjoying consuming the most or, or get the most out of just because, you know, that, yeah, like you said, that's the exact stuff you wish you could be doing. And it's nice to have somebody kind of answer the question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. I mean, if someone would identify with it and then, and honestly, and from a publishing point of view, like you have to do extraordinary stuff. Like I can't just say, well, right. I'm going to go play. 50 great golf courses and write about it like you really <laughs> got to do the absurd stuff for a publisher to say like okay guys will look at that women anyone will look at that on a bookshelf and think like damn i gotta read that you know so right. so you do have to push it well so there's there's about a million questions uh to unpack from from the life story that you just laid out <laughs> there but we'll we'll start in a kind of sequential order cool. from from a gentleman's game so i guess i didn't realize uh, that you were that young when you when you wrote it that had to be quite an experience and, a, and it kind of you know, I always like to think when I go back and look at, you know, some of really any of my writing, for sure, my early writing, it's, it's pretty cringe uh, inducing. Yeah. And so I'm curious, you know, what you what you still take away from something that was, you know, such a big success got turned into a movie, all that stuff. I mean, what's, what's something that you really kind of still look at and, and really love about that? And what's something that kind of makes you cringe when you <laughs> go back and look at it now? Um, yeah, there's a fair amount of both. I, I think the, um, I think I, I just love that, frankly, that it happened, you know, um, that I stumbled across this story uh, about this kid. And, and it's really the only time in my writing since, uh, you know, it, it hadn't happened before and hasn't happened since where, you know, you write a sentence or a paragraph and you feel like that that's it. Like, that's something like I'm going to spend 400 pages with this character uh, where it's that feeling of like, um this is the story I'm supposed to be telling. Like it was that I, I love that experience. Uh, the, the idea of um, that time in my life, I was in graduate school writing all night and, and trying to, I'd always wanted to write a novel and I was writing a novel and, and I also didn't think anyone was going to read it. So there was like this beauty of like, there was no pressure. <laughs> there was no pressure. I, yeah. I could do whatever I wanted. Um, I could daydream about like, what if this became public? You know, what if this was on a bookshelf and all that stuff? And, and, and so I guess there's some sort of naivete that I, that was great and some innocence of like that time of just like saying, what the hell, I'm going to write a book that that's all wonderful. I mean, and, and the excitement of, uh, the, when it became a movie, just the excitement wrapped around that, um, that, you know, things started to happen, you know, so I guess surreal is a, is a, is an abused word, but it's the appropriate one where, you know, suddenly all these things that I hadn't even dreamed of, like, I didn't think it was going to be a movie or I didn't think that I'd ever have a chance to write a screenplay, um, it wasn't on my like bucket list of things that I, that I wanted to accomplish even cause I was like 24 years old and just trying to finish a thesis. So, um, so the excitement in the whirlwind of that time is, 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 is awesome. And that book changed everything for me. It gave me, 
um, the life that I have now. And, and so I, I love it like, you know, like a, like a child really. Um, but I don't read it and I never read it again after it came right. out, you know, for exactly the reason you said, um, I would want to change probably half the sentences. <laughs> I, I was in graduate school writing it and you have, and, and when you're a grad, when you're in a grad writing program, like you're writing to impress other people in grad writing programs. <laughs> right, right. And, and I know it's like full of like probably pretentious descriptions and, um, overwrought sentences and stuff like that, or maybe not, I don't know. Um, but I, I, I haven't really gone back. Um, because yeah, there's, when you look at the writing you do when you're younger, um, I mean, I kind of probably enjoy it because it's probably just, I know it's packed with just like ambition, you know, like, like <laughs> really ambitious sentences and motifs and themes and all these things that in graduate school you want to, um, you know, you're thinking about, uh, thinking about literary theory and all this good stuff, things I don't think about anymore. Um, so, uh, yeah, some of that would certainly be uh, a little cringeworthy. And then, so what's it like then also to, you know, the other question I've, I've never been fortunate enough to, to understand. So, you know, this is kind of a theme you, you can do this for me is hearing your words kind of brought to life, yeah. you know, on screen. So all of a sudden you have, you know, Lieutenant Dan is, is reading your, uh, reading your lines, Gary yeah. Sinise. And so, I mean, what's, what's that like to, to witness? That was insane, especially the Gary Sinise stuff. Um, it was funny cause I, I got to be involved in the, in the production and, um, in the casting and. Uh, so I was there like listening to, that was the first time in these casting sessions where I heard actors like reading stuff that I'd written and it just like blew me away. And I was so, <laughs> I tried to be discerning about like who was good and who wasn't, but I was, I couldn't be discerning at all. I, I just loved everybody. <laughs> I would just sit there with a smile on my face and like, that was great. You know, like you're so good. And, uh, and you, and, and the thing you learn right away is that like good actors, um, make writers so much better you know i mean yeah, some right. of the lines you don't think that as you're writing a screenplay you're like i make this wonderful <laughs> but no it's the it's the especially with gary sinise because um it was funny with his when he was doing his scenes um at night we were shooting we shot that most of it in philadelphia and we shot his stuff in los angeles and his um his scenes we would we were shooting by the beach in la and we were staying in a hotel and we had rooms next to each other. And at night, like he really cared about the words and the pages. So I'd be rewriting the scenes, his scenes to get, you know, get them exactly how he wanted them. Um, and then I'd slide them under his door and he'd call me on the phone. It was kind of funny. Like he would go into his room and wouldn't come out. Um, and, uh, and we would talk on the phone and rewrite the scenes. And we do that like a few times and, which meant that when we showed up at the set in the morning, I'm the only one who knew what he was going to say because um, they were like fresh pages. So that was so cool um, to hear stuff that we'd like just come up with and, and to hear that, that read. Cause sometimes, you know, when I was watching the actors, there's such like a, there's a lot of time between when I wrote it and, and then you see a performed or seen on screen and you can almost forget that like, Oh, I wrote that, you know, um, there's like a distance there, but that stuff with Gary Sinise in the movie was so immediate, um, to come up with a joke the night before and then hear Gary Sinise say it and deliver it with, you know, his incredible gosh, his talent. Um, it was just, uh, I didn't know how cool that was. I wish, I, I wish it, if, if it happened now at this point in my life, I would have more appreciation. 
I'm 25 right. years old, and I'm like, ah, oh, this is gonna, this is cool. I can't wait till it happens next year. Can't wait till the next uh, yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah, next exactly. one will do even better. You know, <laughs> and you realize, like, wait, this happens once in your life, and it, it's happening right now, dummy. So, <laughs> well, um, well, so moving on then to you know th- that sounds like a bit of a kind of humbling experience, and another one had to be uh, the paper tiger stuff. Yeah. I mean, what so. So going through that process, I guess the question would be kind of where, you know, where did you start mentally? And I don't want to spoil the book for anybody, but yeah, you know, where did you start mentally with kind of your expectations and how did that maybe differ from, from, or stay the same, I guess, as, uh, as where things ended Yeah. Up? So I started off, um, like I was a pretty good junior golfer. Um, I was probably like, got down to like a three or four handicap, um, when I was younger and then, you know, college, I didn't play in college and life. And so I was probably, by the time I got to paper tiger, I was probably like a 10. And, uh, you know, if I shot in the seventies, that was a good day. But, um, so my expectations were, you know, I can get down to scratch. I can get down to better than scratch. Um, and that'd be really good. Uh, and, I'll go off into, so in the book, I go to various like Q schools around the world, uh, Canadian tour, Latin American tour, the Australasian tour, um, you know, to sort of see how, you know, what happened. And I played Monday qualifiers for the, um, nationwide and and all that stuff, uh, sort of like test where I was. So you find out I did get to scratch. I got to a plus one. Um, but one of the things in terms of the expectations that you find out is that, you know, scratches, scratch sucks like it's really it's in in terms of like the guys i was up against um playing with or getting to know um that is scratch means nothing plus one doesn't mean anything um you know so so that was a revelation um i mean i knew i knew obviously the guys on tv were good and i wasn't trying to be them you know i was just trying to hang with the guys who were on the cusp of like you know uh, doing something in pro golf whether it be a mini tour or somewhere um, and, and there were moments where I felt like I, I fit in, you know, for a few holes, um, or a few moments, but, um, yeah, you realize, I mean, you're, you're, I went and I watched, when I started the book, I went and watched, uh, the, the stage one of Q school and I watched three guys, um, and they all, they finished the tournament after four days, 10 under, and they missed the cut, but, you know, so they're shooting like 68, 69 on a course that's rated 76 in a tournament. So they're plus eights, you know? Um, <laughs> so, so, so I'm thinking like, man, I got to scratch. Isn't going to get it done. Um, and they're doing that in the most like pressure packed golf of their life. So imagine how good they are on a Sunday afternoon. Um, so that, you know, I started learn, you know, figuring out not only how good guy, I knew there were a lot of good players out there um, figuring out how many, and, and how many I never, I would never know who they were. Just that sort of bottleneck of incredible talent. Um, as you go around to these qualifiers and um, anonymous Q schools and, and, and mini tour events and just see there's just so much talent. Um, and why they're not, you know, playing in Hawaii this week. You know, it's a matter of a few strokes, I suppose. That, that thin line of, like, why they... Uh, why I know someone's name and don't know somebody else's it's 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 elusive but um there's just a lot of good players you know it's crazy, it's crazy. i mean there's there's a there's a lot of guys that live here in in jacksonville oh, yeah. jacksonville beach area and so you know we'll be 
playing somewhere and we'll get kind of joined up by some guy that, you know, exactly what you're saying. You know, it's somebody that, you know, I spend all day of every day talking, thinking, reading, you know, about golf. Right. And and there'll be somebody that'll roll up that I have never heard of who will come and make eight birdies. Exactly. And I'm like, wow, like, I don't know if I'll ever see that guy again, but that was insane. I mean, it's totally, just, it's great. And it's to what you're saying. I mean, you're, you're not even, you're basically competing to be kind of the, the best plus seven out there yeah you know it's like it's just nuts and so what i guess what was you know what was your kind of takeaway as as far as what what makes someone from you know a plus one to a plus four to a plus seven you know what was the what was the yeah so um i mean talent wise in terms of like physical ability you know obviously like pure innate talent is a differentiator but a lot of guys have that you know um and i probably got i don't have you know the the the, the the blessed talent that, that that those guys have um but on the range you know by the time i got done all this work with my coach and um and physically i was like sort of transformed by my trainer and, um you know we kind of all looked the same on the range um right and but what was the difference like why on the course you know why did i make an eight that day and, and they didn't i always made a big number it just was like ridiculous but um and I think it, you know, I say the mental game and, and, and it certainly is, but I think just the overall theme of like, I played with a lot of fear. Um, and the guys that I saw really like making crazy numbers and going really low, um, they were like fearless golfers. That's what they look like to me. You know, when I was on the golf course, I felt like I had to watch out because I was in everyone else's way. Um, you know, and, that's, that sums up my game for, you know, right and, and like, I feel like I'm ruining, I'm ruining everybody else's experience by being out totally. here. And, and they look at it exactly the opposite. Like you're in my way, you know, get out of here. So there's, and I don't mean that in an obnoxious way, but just the sense of like, this is where they do their business and, and this right. is where they're comfortable game. Like for someone to be comfortable in a four day tournament, like that's their regular game. You know, my regular game right. is Tuesday afternoon playing for right. 20 bucks. And, uh, and this is their comfortable place where they can do, do what they do. So that comfort level, um, is, is hard, was, was impossible really for me to achieve. Um, I could fake it as much as I wanted to, but in the back of my mind, there was always this feeling that like, I'm the, I'm the outsider. So, so that feeling of that, that comfort level, that lack of fear, um, is, uh, that, that was, I thought a big differentiator, uh, in terms of like their, the how guys seem to play um, their mental approach to the game, if you will. So, right. Yeah. So I, I want to uh, definitely get into some of the, the stuff you've written for the golfer's journal. Yeah. Uh, before we do that, I kind of want to establish uh, your links, your links bona fides here, because you know, the first couple issues here, you've, you've written heartily about kind of some linksy yeah. nuances. And uh, so let's go back to a course called Ireland kind of I'm, I'm finishing up this book right now and can't recommend it enough. I mean, it's, it's funny. It's heartfelt. I mean, it's just, it's, it's great. And, uh, I can't thank you enough for writing it. And I can't be more excited about, about, uh, July for the Scotland version to come out. Thank you. Yeah. So, so talk to me, I guess, how this started, um, how you, you know, got your wife to agree to (laughs) it, how you decided to walk. I mean, the whole, the whole thing is, is just so, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where it's, you know, it's kind of unbelievable to hear it, uh, that somebody would 
I guess attempt this yeah. or or more like more realistically like get to do this. Totally. Who's <laughs> another way to say Yeah, it. for sure. Um I guess the idea started off like I, I was planning a golf trip for um my buddies. I've been going to Ireland with my dad to play golf since high school. Um every few years we'd go and do a trip and play some links here, some links there. And I was trying to figure out where we'd go on this trip and I printed out a golf map of Ireland to show like where all the courses are. And if you look at like a map like that, you just think like, all right, Ireland is ringed with like golf courses and it starts to own it, it to me it started to look like its own golf course like what if you just what if we just played all of them and i thought well no one else is going to be able to do that but what if i did it and i always wanted to do i'm um i'm of irish descent and always wanted to to write something about ireland and, and get to spend more time there um so this seemed like all right what if i did this what if i what if i tried to play Ireland is, is one giant golf course. Certainly was inspired by like Bill Bryson's books, um, his, his great travel books and walking stories. And, um, and I thought, all right, well, this could be a cool travelogue um, and a way to do Ireland differently, um, a way to do it in a, in, that a publisher would be interested in, that readers would be interested in. Um, and, and walking was like essential to it because on its face, yeah, I walked because you don't, take golf carts in Ireland. And if you're going to play Ireland, like one big giant golf course, you have to walk from, from hole to hole. Um, so some days the next hole was, you know, 50 feet away. And some days it was two weeks away, uh, depending on where I was in the country. And uh, so, so the walking, you know, was true to that, but it was essential in that it, it, it meant I was going to see Ireland differently. Like I was going to stop in places where people don't stop. I was going to walk through places where people don't walk. I was going to take shortcuts that no one's ever seen, stuff like that, that I knew was going to yield a lot of good stories. Um, and, I, and hopefully it did. Um, you know, that it was, uh, uh, that it, it, it was Ireland done and, and told in a way that um, I think might be different than, uh, than, than you can find out there otherwise uh, was at least the, the hope. So. So what was, you know, from walking, I mean, what was kind of, one or two of the things that you you picked up as kind of specific examples of of things that maybe you know people who've been to Ireland yeah. on golf trips twenty times wouldn't have wouldn't have seen or experienced or or noticed. Oh yeah, the um, lot, oh my gosh, so many things. Um, just the uh, well, Ireland one feels a lot bigger when you're doing it on foot. <laughs> <laughs> so I think sometimes, like when you get, you know, you get out of the airport, you get on a bus, you go to the golf course. You go to your beautiful hotel um, and, you know, you go back to your golf course and your bus and you kind of see things out, 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 out the window. Um, but you don't really get a sense for how people live in these in these towns um, and and what life is like in these little pockets. And, and because I couldn't like, I, you know, I, I didn't have the luxury of, you know, a highway or, or sort of skipping over or bypassing anything. Um, I really got to see to get to know. Um, each sort of region, that was the cool thing. Like when you walk into like the Southeast, how that feels different than Dublin. And then as you're walking into Cork, like how things start to feel differently in terms of, you know, attitudes and prides and, and, and county pride and, you know, how Cork is different than Mayo and the rivalry there. And, and um, those kinds of things, uh, you know, and especially like walking into the North and the temperature kind right. of changes up there for sure. Um you know, taking it at the pace that I took it, those things are really become very tangible. Um, whereas I think if you're trying to like, which I've done a lot of these trips where you're banging out 15 courses in 10 days and, and you got to go, go, go. <laughs> right. um, but you're less, maybe less in tune with that. Um, 
and uh, so I felt like I really kind of got to know the many sort of countries and places and, and lifestyles and attitudes and accents, you know, uh, within Ireland that, that I wasn't in tune with before. So what's the, you know, I, I think everybody knows kind of the, the biggest, you know, most famous courses. And, and I think those are often, you know, at the top of people's lists. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, you know, if someone you know, average golfer of average means comes to you and says, you know, Hey, I want to, yeah. I want to plan a trip to Ireland. I've never been there. You know, what are you going to tell them? Yeah. So I would recommend, I mean, well, most people go and do Ireland and, you know, they have a week to 10 days and they'll go and do the Southwest. And, and that's phenomenal because bang for your buck. And in terms of, um, how much golf, great golf you can squeeze in in one window of time. You can't, I mean, you can't beat Bally Bunyan, La Hinch, Waterville, Trilly, Old Head, uh, Dukes, you know, it's a great, you can stay in one, you can stay in Killarney and, and do it all. And it's, and it's phenomenal. It's expensive because it's, that's the most popular trip. Those are much more expensive. Most of them are, are very expensive courses. Um, so yeah, for value, uh, I, I always say, you know, you got to travel a little more, but you're definitely rewarded for that. If you, if you want to go up, go like Northwest, go from say like, and it's grown and, and above, which is sort of like the Midwest coast up to the Northwest. Um, I mean, you play places like Ennis Grown, Ross's Point. Um, my favorite course in the world, which is a place called Carn in Belmullet. Uh, then you keep going up to Ballyliffin and Rossapenna and uh, Port Salon. So they're um, up into Donegal, Nairn and Port New. There's just great golf up there. Tremendous value. Um, you can then you can come over and sort of do some of Northern Ireland if you'd like up there. Again, a little, some a little more expensive, but maybe not. But I think the, the, the idea is that if you're, if you're willing to drive a little more or get your bus to go a little bit further, um, you'll be <laughs> rewarded with uh, not just value, but the welcome that you get. I mean, the welcome in the Southwest is awesome. I mean, that's like the hospitality capital of Ireland and Killarney. Um, but there's something about, like, when you go out to Carn, they are – thrilled to see you um and, and they're appreciative in a genuine way uh and, and honestly at valley bunyan they'll probably have 50 americans a day playing there but you show up at car right. and they're like ah oh, the americans are here you know <laughs> and thank you for being here because playing a course uh, you know showing up with eight guys who are going to pay greens fees and shop in the pro shop and have lunch and pints um at a rural golf club uh, in a really remote part of Ireland, it's an awesome experience as a golfer, but it actually impacts that club. It makes a difference right. for them. And that, so that feeling of like, thank you for being here. Uh, you have to travel a little further. I think nowadays to get that 30 years ago, you got that everywhere, but, um, you know, Ireland is certainly a lot more discovered now. And, uh, and so to find that kind of like older Ireland of your imagination, sometimes you travel a little further. But, you know, it's certainly worth it. You know, I guess I'm making an assumption that that Scotland, you probably took a lot of the same lifestyle stuff away. I'm curious, you know, if there were any differences in in that, you know, walk, the, the sections that you did walk uh, versus Ireland and, and kind of what the, the differences and the similarities between the two trips were. Yeah. So with the Scotland book, um, so I did that in 2015. And I didn't walk it. Um, the the idea for the Scotland book, the ambition's a little bit different. With the the Ireland book was sort of like, can I survive this four months on my feet? <laughs> you know, walking these roads, not get hit by a bus. And spoiler uh, alert, you you made it. I know I'm alive. <laughs> I'm the, I, I did survive. So 
Um, so it's more about that. In, in the Scotland book, the, the ambition of like, it's sort of a, a little bit of a combination of Paper Tiger and the Ireland story. And that in the Scotland story, like the golf matters, like the right. scores matter. Like I'm trying to play well. I'm trying to actually figure out something about like the sort of soul and spirit of of the game in the you know in the place where it began um so it's got it's certainly got it's got more elements to it it's got a lot more history um it's it's got more sort of it probably more just pra- it's got some like practical golf improvement stuff um it's a, it's probably a little more grown up uh than than um than the ireland book i mean it's still like a light funny travelogue kind of story um but i'm you know i'm married now with kids and 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 so there's you know there's a little more perspective i think in this story um that i hope people like um so but the trips themselves it's it's they're very different um i mean you go to golf ireland i mean one scotland has so many golf courses which i suspected but i didn't really know until i dove into trying to like to plan this um, you know, how many courses I had on, on my list, how many links uh, I had on my list to play. Um, you go to Ireland and if you have two weeks, you can cross off and, and a bus driver, you can probably hit, um, you know, you can hit the top 10 courses for sure. Um, you can hit the tops of the pops and, and, and feel like, okay, I've got it. I've got it covered. Um, you know, there'll be hidden gems that I'd say, ah, oh, you didn't play that one. But for the most part, you can cover it. Scotland, like, no way. Uh, it's just, uh, there's just so much. And what's cool about golf in Scotland is that there are these pockets, you know, um, that where you could camp out in one place and play 12 links courses that are just phenomenal and not have to travel more than a half hour. And, and that was a lot different than an Irish trip where you're in the bus um, and there's, and, and the courses are a little more spread out. You know, you go to the Southwest, you know, Bally Bunyan's not that far from Truly, et cetera, but um, there's, you know, there's a little more travel involved. It's, it's not bad travel. It's beautiful and it's, it's, it's wonderful, right. but, but, but it, basically in Scotland, you can camp out and just golf your brains out. And, uh, and that, that's, that's, that's a, that's a cool thing. Um, the courses uh that said in terms of like the the visual drama and the sort of stunning you know i being used to like lynx golf in ireland going to scotland um my initial impression was like the courses weren't like as eye popping dramatic um sort of postcard golf courses the way that trilly is the way that Carn is the way that enniscrone is the way that um, County down is, and, and, um, those courses that just, you're playing them and you think like, this is preposterous. I can't, <laughs> right. you know, I'm golfing this. Um, some of the Scottish links felt like a little more subdued, like a little more, um, yeah, a little more subtle. It seems like subtle. Right? Yeah, exactly. Where you really have to have an appreciation for, um, links land and shots and, and history to sort of, um, understand, you know, it's like when you play the old course, like if it wasn't the old course, you think, um <laughs> right. It, it, right you know like yeah. uh the that you know king's barnes has it all over this course but um but it's per, you know so it takes a little perspective and a little um appreciation to sort of understand like what's so awesome and special about links golf in, in scotland but yeah it seems like you almost need to yeah I, I completely get what you're saying it seems like on you know a lot of the ireland courses you can stand on the tee and and say, oh my God, this is what a great yeah. hole. Whereas, right. you know, in Scotland, you almost have to see which way your ball bounces and say, oh my God, what a great hole. Exactly. Like, I, you know, it's exactly. Uh, 
Well, so have you ever uh, have you ever tried to put a number on the total number of uh, links links courses that you've knocked down here? You know, I was thinking about that. So if uh, there were about sixty, um, so I played all of, everyone in Ireland, and and people will debate how many are true links, etc. Um, but if you do fifty there, hundred, I mean, north of one hundred and fifty, closer probably to two hundred. Um, true links courses and i don't know I, I, I forget what the tally is of like how many there might be in the world which again like and i guess that's why i wrote the piece for golfers journal about <laughs> what a links is there's there's this question of of what is a true links and and do well, we that's have what I, over that's here? what i was gonna say so what yeah. yeah what goes through your head when when you know one of your philadelphia buddies says let's go hit the links <laughs> yeah exactly right so and, and it's and it was awesome to have the chance to, to write about in the golfers journal and just kick around the idea for a little bit because it's something that in you know in writing the scotland book and the ireland book it's a question that comes up you know um and especially like after the ireland book where I made some comments that like, we don't have any true links courses in, in, in North America um, where, you know, people, th so well, what about Pebble beach and what about, so you have to kind of like think about, all right, do we, and what is a links? And, and so it's something that I did spend some time writing about. And by the way, we certainly do, um, <laughs> you know, Bandon dunes, uh, uh, Cabot. Um, I know there's a nine holer up in New York um, and, and others, but so this question of our, right, what the hell is a links? Why does it matter? Um, it was cool to have the, the chance to like kick that idea around in an essay and, and, the, and, and what it is, is it's basically, it's golf played on sand. It's, it's golf in the dunes. Um, and, and why does that matter? Well, it, it matters for a few reasons. Historically it matters because that's where golf came from. You know, that was the land that was left to, um, you couldn't farm on it. So it was just left to like sportsmen and, uh, hunters and, so that's where the golfers could go and hit their ball around. And, uh, and so, so that was the, the, like the ground zero for golf, uh, is golf in the dunes, but just in terms of how you play, uh, it, it's hugely important. Um, it, it plays, it's always firm. It's always fast. The wind is always in play. Um, it drains, uh, because it's sand. So it's always firm. Um, and you're just sort of, and the topography has been molded, you know, not by, not by man, but by thousands, millions of years of receding tides that like cut up this, this property into this amazing, like mounded, bumpy dunescape that, that really when you're playing like an old pure links, it not to be corny about it, but it's a spiritual experience. You're, yeah, you're absolutely. you know, you're playing land that like is, is is an ancient geological wonder <laughs> and you're playing a game across it and uh it's 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 awesome so i think it does matter and that was kind of the fun thing to try and make that point you know in in the essay well i'm so i'm trying to think of you know a non-convoluted way to to ask this question so i'll just start rambling and see what cool. comes out but um you know so you had that essay in in the second issue you had you know and basically a defensive of the push cart, the trolley, yeah. as they'd call it over there, uh, in the first issue. And so, you know, it's clear that you have kind of this very uh, European kind of Great Britain and Ireland, you know, bent uh, mm -hmm. at the way you look at the game. And I, I I think I have a lot of the same. And I'm trying to think of when it clicked for me, really, because yeah. growing up over here, you have such a different outlook 
on you know almost everything that we've talked about in this podcast totally. and and that you know goes to conditioning it goes to how you you know do you walk or do you ride and how do you play and how do you keep score and you know what matters and what doesn't and all those stuff and and I think for me it was like it definitely clicked the first time I played North Berwick yeah when I got out there and I'm you know I'm I'm on the whatever the third hole fourth hole and I'm I'm hitting over a wall and I'm doing all this stuff I'm like oh okay like there are no rules. Like, I don't know why I thought that, I don't know why I thought there were rules. Like the, yeah. anything is, is, is okay. And, uh, so yep. I'm curious if you had a moment like that where, where things kind of clicked, yeah. whether that was when you were a kid or when you were, you know, walking around Ireland or, or, or what, but yeah, no, for I, 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 absolutely. And I think, um, on a trip, probably the first trip I took to Ireland, um, when I was in, in high school with my dad and we were looking for family, we were wandering around like looking for um, tombstones, basically, you know, try to find old relatives, something in graveyards. And so we were up in County Mayo and uh, where we were staying, my dad thought, and it wasn't a golf trip. And, and, and so golf in Ireland was something like you heard about, but you didn't necessarily go do. Um, and the guy at the hotel said, Hey, go play this place. If you know, you want something to do today, let's golf and let's go play. Uh, you should go play Enniscrone. Um, so at the time, Enniscrone was just the community locals length, um, on the West coast of Ireland. And, uh, so we went out, we rented clubs, two little kids, like pulled our carts for us. And I do remember just this feeling of like, okay, I've played golf since I was seven years old, but I've never done this, yeah, you know, that exactly. it just felt so completely different. And it was also the place that I learned about, um, Eddie Hackett. Uh, who's yeah. This, yeah who's this irish one of my favorite parts of the the ireland book i mean yeah your details on him were great and that just sort of changed and has influenced how i feel about um golf courses and golf course design and just his his strategy uh for what golf courses can be and 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 how i mean he, he just went out and found golf courses in the dunes um he didn't design them with there were no bulldozers there were no um you know it didn't move a lot of earth and uh, you know, he would go out for these, he, he was designing courses in the seventies, eighties, sixties, I suppose. Um, and his feeling was that he could, um, that golf could bring, uh, in a time when Ireland was very economically depressed, that golf could, could bring something to these small communities and, and be a source of like pride and hopefully, um, some positive economic impact. So he would go out and, and walk around in their dunes and then come back out two weeks later and say i found your golf course right and that's i'm like that is so cool and that's what happened at ennis so hearing about that and playing these golf holes and thinking like this was here this was just here <laughs> it was this like even at a young age i thought like this game is magic um you know to have this playing field that just existed for us uh as you're walking around these like skyscraping dunes and really Renaissance feels like a roller coaster. Um, and nobody made this. It's just when, when nature gave us, it's like, wow, that's, um, that's powerful. And so right there, I just felt like this is, this is as good as it gets. Like this is the pinnacle of golf is links golf. And, um, and so many other trips, you know, certainly confirm that. So not to, not to put the future of, you know, American golf on your shoulders necessarily here, no, but, I'm happy to <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, just to, thinking through all of this stuff and, you know, so much of it is geological, like you said, and it's, yeah. it's the land and it's, you know, it's, it's all of that stuff, but, but that's not the entirety of it. I mean, a lot of it is culture and attitudes and that kind of yeah. stuff. And I'm just curious, 
you know, what's some of the, some of the easiest takeaways that you had from, from your, you know, massive amounts of travel yeah. that, that would be the easiest to kind of, uh, give people, you know, that click, you know, getting people to kind of click online, like we're talking about, uh, here in the States, you know, do you see any kind of easy, easy ways to implement some of this stuff or, or replicate or duplicate or any of that stuff, um, here? Stateside? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny. Like I write in the book, um, as I'm traveling, in the Ireland book, but even and certainly in the Scotland book, these sort of things that like, here's things I wish we did at home. And, uh, and you know, yeah, we can't replicate links golf courses. Um, even though, yeah, certainly, uh, Bandon and Cabot and even places like stream song have like an awesome links like experience. Um, yeah. that's on sand. It's in the middle of Florida. So it's not, it's not technically, it's not on the, you know, it's not on the water, but that's a very linksy experience. Um, yeah. So you can definitely kind of get that, get that experience um over here uh but it's it's like golf is as you know like there's this definitely this big like pure golf movement going on and golfers journal i from my point of view is a part of that um where people are looking for um you know soulful less less stuffy um more sort of i don't know golf that um is, is, is less adorned and more pure and uh and links golf has always been that you know and it's kind of like americans are kind of finding that i think in the last like 10 years yeah um in terms of what they and you can see and and i think band and extreme song and, and and cabot are like a result and like the kaiser projects feel like that they have that like pure golf thing going on um but like these like remote you know british and irish links have always had that so americans are discovering that they want and they want that experience over here and and i think there are certainly places now where you can get that but there's a lot of things that that are that are done over there and that's why you know a small thing was like the trolleys like things that we could do over here that i think could make the golf make golf feel a little more um a little more uh soulful a little more a little more personal right a little little more personal right yeah. yeah like so the walking um you know everyone we have this stigma about um push carts pull carts over here that i at least i grew up with i think it's no, so totally along the way but it's funny then you go over there and you're like at muirfield or royal st george's and everybody has a pull cart and you're <laughs> right. like whoa that's crazy and <laughs> and so it just makes sense like why don't we get rid of the gas power carts and just pull your pull your bag um yeah. you know that just makes you know, make a lot of points in the essay, but I think that just makes obvious sense. Um, let your dogs go to the golf course. <laughs> that is such an, that wholehearted, was, wholeheartedly agree. Oh my that gosh. That's such a no brainer. You know, I'm yeah. playing like Royal North, North Devon, Tom Morris's course, the oldest course in England. And, you know, you expect these places to be stuffy and, uh, and full of these rules and regulations. Cause I grew up in this country club world of like, don't go here, don't go there, put your jacket on, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, there's certainly a lot of that over there. That absolutely. But um, the golf course, it's just a shared. It's a shared playing ground. It's often shared with the town. Um, it's it's you know, uh, and you want to walk your dog out there. You want to have your dog come play golf with you. Bring him, bring him along, and, and you tie him to your trolley, and uh, and he has a great. And everyone has a great day. So it's like a no. It's a no brainer. Um, stuff like that. And I think the overall, the biggest difference. And the thing that I wish we had more of over here is just the accessibility. Yeah. You go play, you want to go play the best golf courses in Scotland and Ireland, bring your Amex and your handicap card and you're good. 
Yeah. And you can exactly. play wherever you want. Uh, you know, you want to, they want to come over here and you want to play Oakmont and Pine Valley and Shinnecock. Good luck. All right. Um, yeah, totally. So, well, uh, well, yeah, as long as I think every American golfer listens to this podcast, you know, we should be fine. I yeah, think no, it's totally. Gonna... <laughs> sort it out. Absolutely. Well, uh, well, Tom, I appreciate all the time and the insight and uh, catching up with you a little bit. Um, I know, you know, we mentioned a lot of your books on here. Uh, you know, what's the easiest way for people to, to check those out? Yeah. So, you know, books are available wherever books are sold. Uh, <laughs> Amazon or you can check out my website, TomCoin.com. Awesome. Well, thank you. I know uh, I'm going to I'm going to end with this. I'm sure you probably hate this question, but I'm going to ask anyways. What's yeah, what's yeah. your favorite golf course? Oh, good. Um so many. No, I mean, my, my tops of the pops, uh, Carn in Ireland, um, in Scotland, uh, I'll go Cruden Bay and Askernish. I'll, I'll tie them at the top. Askernish. Oh, yeah. a man after my own hey, heart. By the way, I was, it's so funny to read the golfer's journal and like, you guys are all over Askernish. I'm like, Oh, you're ruining my book, man. Like this is my big finale. Oh, I can't wait to read it then. Oh, I didn't totally. know. I didn't know that's how you're, you're wrapping it up. That's even I was better. There in 2015. So just, just, oh, it's going to make my article. It's going to make my article look bad. Exactly. I'm glad it came out no. first. Good. <laughs> so yeah. For all sure. right, Tom. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, looking forward to more of these, more golfers journal contributions, more books, more, uh, tweets, more everything. DJ, thanks so much, man. You guys are the best.